the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hi, everybody. I have a very special guest. Note, I said very special. Everybody's special, but he's very special. In fact, he's done me a disservice here because it's another book I have to read. That's how I look at it, and I really will. Alex Marlowe is the editor-in-chief of Breitbart. Breitbart is one of the most important sites in the world. I regularly, almost daily, I am. I find myself at Breitbart. He was the first person hired by Breitbart himself. I just learned that. His new book, Breaking the News, it's about the media, exposing the establishment media's hidden deals and secret corruption. I wonder, well, that's interesting because most of the corruption is not secret. <laughs> Alex Marlowe, welcome to the Dennis Prager Show. Uh-oh. Sorry about that, Dennis. Uh, I was, uh, you did not, did not mute. My bad. Bad start. Off to a bad, a false start. No mulligans, though, in live radio, Dennis. Uh, thank you so much for the kind words, and uh, it's such a thrill to be with you. And I've been a Pragertopia subscriber for probably 15 years, and I used to walk around the Berkeley campus uh, listening to you in the radio. And to be on air with you to talk about my first book is really a thrill, and that's such a great introduction is even better. Thank you. But you will tell people forever that when you came on the Dennis Prager show, you were on mute. Self, I will do that. Self-done. Absolutely. <laughs> Not my best work. But my best work is in the book. And I'll tell you, it, it is a, a, a breezy read, and I tried to abide by your 200 pages or less rule. I couldn't pull it off, but I did cut out a, a lot of stuff to keep it as, uh, as smooth as possible for the reader. But you do have something that I think is important. 90 pages of footnotes. That shows a lot of work, my friend. As a writer, I know that. And I admire that fact. So I am curious. Most of my listeners, and certainly I, am aware of the degradation, the degraded status of American mainstream so-called news media. In writing your book... Were you surprised, nevertheless, at what you found? Uh, absolutely, and that is exactly the place to start. And thank you for noting the end notes, 1,200 in all. And this is designed specifically to challenge all of the people who say anything that a conservative outlet puts out must be fake news, uh, which has been the narrative that we've seen for the last year and a half from the establishment media. Uh, okay, so come come and get me. There's 1,200 endnotes for you, and anything that's not endnoted is because it's totally 100% original to the book. So that's the challenge for Media Matters. 
uh, and everyone else. But to answer your question, yes, I was stunned at what I found, uh, Dennis, because we all know the media is liberal. Um, I, I learned a lot of that from you and your colleagues in talk radio who have made this case so persuasively for the last 20 years or so. Uh, but it's gotten so much worse than that since Donald Trump became president. And uh, a couple of things, I think, come through in the book. Uh, first of all, the media is now weaponized. It's no longer enough to say that it's liberal. They're actually trying to destroy you. They're trying to destroy people who fundamentally believe America is a decent place or thinks that there's any place for Judeo-Christian values or traditions in the public square. Anyone who holds those viewpoints uh, you must either be converted 100% or you must be taken out. Uh, and that is the first thing I found is the extent and the vitriol that they have. Uh, but on a specific level, I was struck by the networks, the corrupt networks that some of these oligarchs, and that's really what they are, some of the richest people in the country have created with media in order to protect themselves and to further their business interests. And when you lay it out, it makes perfect sense to you. Um, the richest man in the world, Jeff Bezos, owns the Washington Post. Is it because he did he buy the Washington Post because he thought the copy editors needed a raise? No, it's 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 an influence play. Um, I focus a lot on a woman named Lorene Powell Jobs, who is one of the top Democrat donors. She was Steve Jobs' widow. Uh, this is a person who funds the establishment left, like for example, the Atlantic and Axios, but they also fund the activist left. She funds. Uh, Mother Jones and ProPublica, but then she funds the propagandist left, a group called the Courier Newsroom, which literally puts fake stories into local news to really launder Democrat talking points into the mainstream, and she's one of the top donors to Democrats. And you start seeing this pattern of billionaires who are pushing their influence around. Uh, maybe we'll get into Michael Bloomberg later. He might be the biggest villain uh, in the book here of, of what he's doing globally to pursue his interests around the world. And it's just sh shocking, Dennis. It's one after the next. That's why I can't stop talking about it. So tell me about Michael Bloomberg. I, I would not have originally thought that he is as pernicious a force in the media as Jeff Bezos's uh, Washington Post. Sure. So here's the trick with Bloomberg. Uh, Bloomberg employs 20,000 journalists. That's more than the Wall Street Journal, CNN, and the New York Times combined. And their revenue is about $10 billion a year, which is dwarfs Fox News and CNN combined. Everyone on Wall Street sees the world of financial news through the lens of Bloomberg. They all have these things called terminals. They're very expensive, and that's their way of gathering news. Not to mention they have radio and they have cable TV and they have a newswire and they have an opinion blog and all that. They're, they're everywhere. It, it is arguably the biggest media operation on planet Earth. And they also have unprecedented access to the Chinese market. And I noticed a pattern of Michael Bloomberg praising China. And Bloomberg is ostensibly a climate activist. He's the envoy to the U.N. on climate change. I thought, well, why would you be praising the people who are the worst polluters in the world? which is which is China. Uh, and you do the math and you start realizing they're doing incredible amounts of business in China. And when I dug further, I saw within the propaganda ministry of China, known as the SCIO, which is openly known as a propaganda ministry, Bloomberg executives flying to Beijing throughout the years and having these meetings. Everyone is smiling. Everyone's having a great time. 
where they're talking about cooperation between American and Chinese media. And then lo and behold, Bloomberg gets permissions extended to them that other American outlets don't get. This is the type of patterns that we're seeing is that people who are the biggest employers of journalists around the world cutting favorable deals with the Chinese government and I believe doing this at the expense of American values. Well, so what is the what is the website, the Bloomberg website that, that is most frequently visited? So the main business model of Bloomberg is these things called terminals, which are these things that are subscription only, but literally every person on Wall Street gets them. They're very expensive. They cost about twenty grand a pop. At least that's the ballpark. When something's that expensive, there's always some negotiation that takes place. But that's kind of the, the ballpark. And that's what funds their news-gathering operation, which is why their operation is so much bigger than any outlet you're consuming. And this is the thing. He's not Mini Mike. Trump called him Mini Mike, and that was really funny, but he's not. He's one of the most powerful people in the history of world media. And he employs all these journalists, Dennis, to the tune of tens of thousands, which means any journalist who's in in the mainstream – they're either a past, present, or potentially future Bloomberg employee, which is probably part of the reason why no one has put this all together until now. Well, well, it's, it is news to me. That's why I said I have to read your book. So what is Jeff Bezos's interest in the Washington Post in owning it? Uh, I think this is crystal clear that it has to do with an influence play. I think that's why is that the Washington Post is not a moneymaker. He bought it for about a quarter of a billion dollars for a guy that is worth potentially $200 billion, uh, why would he want the headache of owning a, a, a newspaper? I'm in the news business, Dennis. It's not an easy business to be in. I mean, there's not a lot of people getting rich in it, and it is you can get sued at any moment. Uh, it's a pain in the butt, and it's worth it for me because I'm fighting for American values, as you are, and Judeo-Christian values. Uh, why is Bezos doing it? I think it's because he wants to have that presence in Washington to defend the interests of the big tech conglomerates, which are controlling so much of our lives. Uh, And we know that this has largely been effective. Uh, Trump himself, who, and I was a fan of President Trump, he had the big tech executives to the White House, and he said they were MAGA, Microsoft, Alphabet, uh, which owns Google, uh, Google and Amazon. They're MAGA. I don't think they're MAGA, but clearly it shows an effectiveness of the power play that Bezos has made. That he's made it so that it's essentially like a lobbying arm for the big tech industry inside the heart of D.C. All right. I want to have another segment with you. You're uh, relentlessly interesting and informative. A truly major book, Breaking the News about the Establishment Media. Alex Marlowe of Breitbart. It's up at DennisPrager.com. Hi, everybody. I'm Dennis Prager. There is no more important subject than the media, and a truly significant book is just out. Alex Marlowe is the editor-in-chief of Breitbart. I knew Andrew Breitbart. It was a tragedy, his sudden death. His first employee was Alex Marlowe, who is now editor-in-chief. The book is Breaking the News. As I pointed out, it has 90 pages of endnotes. Everything is substantiated. It's about the media. Alex, I uh, studied, uh, as you probably know because you 
I'm very touched that you've been a loyal listener for so many years. So I studied Soviet and Communist Affairs, that's what it was called, the School of International Affairs at Columbia. And I learned Russian solely to be able to read Pravda, the major Soviet newspaper. And it never would have occurred to me, I've said this before, I'm telling you, it never would have occurred to me that learning to read Pravda would prepare me to read the Washington Post or the New York Times or listen, watch CNN. It, I totally am okay if you don't agree. Do you think that is overstating the case? Oh, absolutely not. And I'll tell you how routinely we see propaganda from other nations that appear in the United States. I was just looking at Bloomberg uh, before our big Bloomberg story went live. I-, I checked to see what they were up to, Dennis. And they had a story where they accepted China's narrative that literally no one has died from the coronavirus since last May. They literally had China's coronavirus death toll as last uh, uh, at, at zero for the last several months. Is there any person on Earth who believes that, who is not bought off by the Chinese government? Uh, there, there isn't an intelligent one, I'll tell you that. There isn't an informed one that is pure propaganda from the nation that censors journalists and jails journalists more than any other, and that is getting laundered into American life. Uh, not to mention the clear levels of propaganda on behalf of the corporate media and and the Democrat establishment that we read on a daily basis. It's so overwhelming. If anything, Dennis, I think you understated it. Well, saying it's Pravda, it's hard to it's hard to state it more more effectively. I mean, but I, I, I get your point entirely. What can we do? It may not be an it may not be answerable, but what do you think we who love truth can do? Uh, I think there's a couple of things, and the first thing is what people are already doing, which is supporting independent media. I think independent media is the future, so long as there's talk radio, so long as there are conservative websites, so long as there's places like Substack and podcasts and places where you can build an audience, um, then, then the First Amendment lives. However, my deep concern is that as the oligarchs in Silicon Valley get more control over what we read and what information we get between YouTube and Google and Facebook and Twitter, that the First Amendment is sort of a, a – it, it, it has been co-opted. It has been outsourced. And that is something we need to fight back on right away. We need to pressure people – in Washington and in Silicon Valley to stop discriminating based on viewpoint. And we need to do anything short of violence, no violence, disavow violence, but we need to do anything we can to make sure that these platforms start behaving fairly towards people like you and me. I'm curious, do you, you, do you know, or is it even knowable, do young people go to the Washington Post, for example? Um, I doubt it. I, I doubt it. But this is what's so interesting about, for example, Lorene Powell Jobs, is that she controls different arms of the media that hit different segments of the population. So she's got the same message, but you might read it in the glossy Atlantic, and that's maybe for people who are older, more educated. But then she's got things like Now This News, which partners with, with, her, with her group, the Emerson Collective. And now this news is viral videos designed for millennials and Gen Z. So it's the same message is just filtered through a different means, through a different medium. 
Uh, and that's where the left is very clever. That they figured this stuff out, and uh, the right is catching up, but we're a little behind where they are. Well, I'm often asked, "What? Give me, Dennis? Give me an example of a left wing equivalent to PragerU." And uh, I don't know what to answer. What, what would you answer? Um, yeah, I don't know the left-wing equivalent to prayer. I, I would say, you know, Harvard and Berkeley, I mean, what would come to mind. I mean, that's what it is. It, it's basically the, that's, even though you, you guys are much more honest about what you're doing. And by the way, I say this as an annual Prager, Prager U donor, um, because I believe in it Thank so you. much. And we always want to cover Prager U uh, at Breitbart whenever you guys need help. And you I, guys are the sphere. Um, but, but that's the thing is you guys are the tip of the spear. What you're doing is revolutionary. It is new. So there isn't a natural equivalent. But this is one thing that I've thought about at Breitbart is that the right, we need our own curricula. We do need to start putting forward an alternative. Uh, Dennis, I went to Harvard Westlake, which I know you're familiar with. It's in, it's in your neck of the woods out in California. And now at my school or my, at my alma mater, they have a czar of, of uh, equity and inclusion. Equity is just another word for Marxism. In inclusion, it's the most exclusive school in the whole country. What are they talking about inclusion for? These are the the people with the least authority on the word inclusion in any school in America. It's so absurd, and yet that's what goes on, and it costs $50,000 a year to go there. Well, there was a little dissent recently uh, when a parent went public about how woke the school is, right? Yeah, there's been quite a bit of reporting on it, which is terrific, because, again, we still have some free media, which they don't have in China. And, right, you that's know, the and, thing. And, and, we have and, some free media. Uh, for, forgive me for interrupting, but I want, to plug Bright, oh, I want to plug you and Breitbart. How many views do you get? Um, so at Breitbart, we get about 20 to 25 million readers a month, and um, we're grateful for every one of them. We also have a big show on Sirius XM, the Patriot Channel, which I, I, you're kind enough to come on, and a lot of your Salem colleagues come on, and uh, it's a wonderful synergy. That is great. 20 to 25 million. You, you do remarkable work. On the, the, the left just, obviously, they just lump you uh, into something sometimes even PragerU is lumped into, and I don't even know what it means. What does alt-right mean? Oh, I'm glad you asked, because this is enumerated in the book. I go through this specific argument in the book. The, the alt-right is something that has now become known as something that's associated with anti-Semitism. Uh, that doesn't make a lot of sense, Dennis. I'm talking to you, and you see how I was so excited to talk to you, I forgot to turn the mute button off. So that's a uh, <laughs> so, so I'm not I'm not a good candidate for being a, an anti-Semite. Nor was Andrew Breitbart, who was a Jew, or Larry Solov, our president and CEO, who is a Jew, or my colleague uh, Joel Pollack, who's an Orthodox Jew. We also have a Jerusalem bureau that is 100% pro-Israel coverage. We love Israel, the one Jewish state on earth. Um, but that is what is come to mean recently and this is the sort of thing where all right this is fascinating i want to continue with that i i it's a big puzzle the book as you can hear is important truly breaking the news alex marlowe the dennis prager show dennis prager here one of the most important people in american media alex marlowe he's editor-in-chief of breitbart you should just have them 
regularly text you or email you headlines from Breitbart. 25 million hits a month. In a better world, there would be a billion hits a month, but 25 million is pretty, pretty good. Breaking the news is Alex Marlowe's book just out. When did it come out? Uh, it was it was out Tuesday. So this is uh, the day three of what will uh, hopefully be a, a long journey to get people informed about the subject. Day three. Your first book? It, it is. It is. I only have another dozen or so to catch up to you, Dennis. You will. So we were talking about a concept I never heard of. Do you know the only reference to alt-right that I have ever encountered has come from the left? And uh, I admit it's rare that PragerU is called alt-right, but there is uh, something at the at the hate group called the Southern Poverty Law Center, which said some professor wrote that PragerU is not alt-right, but it leads people to the alt-right. And I was thinking, wow, we do something we're completely unaware of. And uh, uh, even though we have a wonderful video on what is the alt-right, which, by the way, makes a great point, it's alt-right means alternative right. So it's not really right. It's an alternative right. So it's not mainstream right. So you were saying it's characterized by anti-Semitism. Is that what it is? So, so that's kind of where we're at now. But it's a new word. And I think, Dennis, if you ask 10 people to define it, as I write in the book, uh, they would all give you a different answer. And this guy named Yohai Bankler, who's an Israeli-American um, a, a professor, and he worked with Harvard and MIT and did a study on Breitbart. And it was featured in the New York Times Magazine in 2017. And they concluded Breitbart is not the alt-right. Uh, but we did do a lot of substantial reporting on the alt-right. And we wrote about the elements of it that are really offensive and horrible. But we also wrote about some of the things in it that were maybe simply a reaction to widespread leftism in our culture. And we kind of gave it a fair airing with a lot of negativity in it. And I think because we just reported on it accurately, they lumped us in, which is totally unfair because we're an overwhelmingly pro-Jewish, pro-Israel organization. Right. So you, all right, but you, so you mentioned that because that is what is a that is a defining characteristic of the alt right to be anti-Jew. This is this is how it's thought of now. The whole point is the definition, I think, has been manipulated to try to uh, to, to it, it's becoming like a, a racial slur against people. Like, oh, that person's all right, so we can dismiss them. Right. Um, and, right. And, and, and that's it, it, it's just do, so. Do me a favor. Become, N- name me sure. two or three either individuals or websites that are alt right. I, I give you my word and my listeners my word. I I cannot name one. Yeah, I can name one individual. I don't need to give an airing on your show, but I have one name in my head, and I have no website. And this is the whole point. And they did this just now, Dennis, with QAnon. I know much less about QAnon as one of the... That's um, right. I know nothing about QAnon. That is exa- that's a perfect I example. I uh, had to learn about it from the right. establishment media. Because yes. they were telling me that that's I, right. we're all a part of it or something. Yes. It, it, <laughs> it's, it's about as... Uh, 
about as common in my mind as men give birth. I wouldn't have thought of that if it weren't for the left. QAnon is up there with men give birth. That's what I'm saying. It's a creation of the left. Dennis, I don't know... I don't know a white supremacist. I'm sure there are. Some. Oh my God! I, I said that on the them. on the show today. <laughs> exactly. Where are they? <laughs> and, and presumably, they're all over Breitbart. Even though a lot of our editors are black and Asian, and uh, and hey, we've been fighting Asian hate for years, trying to stick up for Asian students who are getting discriminated against by our university. Oh, I know. It's oh, Orwellian really? that the left is is speaking about anti-Asian discrimination. <laughs> You have to laugh, otherwise you cry. Also, as I point out, I have no problem because true is true. More attacks have come against uh, against Asians from blacks than from whites. And blacks are 12% of the population. Whites are 50. So, so, much, so much for the white supremacy element. Listen, we've got to do this again. Uh, I, I am a big fan of yours and, and Breitbart, and congratulations on your book. Uh, the feeling is mutual, Dennis. It means the world to me. And we're so grateful at Breitbart for all your support. And we'll be supporting you and Prager you in the show and anything you guys do. Thank you so much. The book is Breaking the News. Alex Marlowe, their editor-in-chief. It's up at DennisPrager.com. Hi, my friends. Dennis Prager here. I had asked this pastor to hold on, and he did on for two hours. Belleville, Michigan, and Pastor Richard. Hello, sir. Hello. Great show. Great show. Thank um, you. You started your show talking about anti-Semitism and what's happening with Israel and everything else, and I, I decided I had to call in and talk to you about this. I belong to a group of pastors uh, in my area where we all meet together. We're all different denominations, and we talk about stuff going on in the world, and... Uh, and we, we try to go to, towards prayer and everything else. And during these meetings, I've had the opportunity to recommend two books uh, for them to read. And I had the same reaction by a block of the pastors, um, which surprised me. One book that I recommend that, that they would read would be uh, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. The, uh, and they said, well, he's a Jew. And so, you know, <laughs> it's a great book. Read it. Um, and the other one was your your book on Genesis, which, by the way, uh, and I don't say this to be obsequious, your your documentary on Genesis should be in every Christian seminary, and at least the first chapter studied as um, excellent exegesis of, of, of the Torah. Um, you, your book is brilliant. I'll just tell you that. Um, well, thank you. I, 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 so how did they react to that? Uh, you're Jewish. Mm-hmm. And I had to remind them they need to look at the authors of the New Testament all but one. Well, why do they read Jesus? He was Jewish. Yeah, exactly. And and by the way, Jesus quoted the Torah a lot. Right, and more than anything else. Had... Well, uh, here here here's where it falls into it. What I I finally found the uh, dividing mark of the Christian communities that lean towards anti-Semitism and those that don't, and it boils down to their eschatology. Early on uh, in the Christian Church history, Rome destroyed Jerusalem, and the Christians did not know how to take some of the writings, especially in the eschatology, where it shows that Israel, God has a plan for Israel, 
in, in Christian belief, and this is the earliest Christian belief, that God still has this great plan for Israel. But after Rome destroyed it, um, people started going into what's called replacement theology, and they're saying, no, the, the Church is the new Rome. Mm-hmm. And, and through this, it, it allows the fostering of anti-Semitism mm-hmm. within the Church, mm-hmm. which I find really amazing. It's in those churches that foster this anti-Semitism, it's not the churches where you get what you call the right-leaning Christians in, but you get the more progressive Christians in these churches. And I find it's the more progressive Christians that tend to lean towards anti-Semitism than the conservative Christians. I'm talking theologically. That's right. Theologically. Isn't that fascinating? Yes. I was going um, to ask you that. I, I'm, I'm glad you raised it on your own. So you are with a group of clergy. Where is Belleville? Belleville's just outside of Ann Arbor, Michigan. I listen to your show on Wham Radio um, all the time. So okay, so it's just outside of Ann Arbor, Detroit, Detroit, Michigan. Right. So this group is composed of both progressive and traditional uh, Christian clergy. Yes, and I'm I'm out, I'm outnumbered. You're, that's I'm interesting. One, I'm one out of seven. All right. Oh, you're okay. Well, I want to understand, though, when... So, I understand they're saying, well, Prager is Jewish, so why would we want to read a Jew's commentary on the Bible? I mean, it's... It's... it's, I understand it, even even though it's it's, it's bizarre, but I don't understand Frankel. (laughs) Frankel is not biblical exegesis. Frankel is how to approach suffering. Yes. It's a brilliant book. I recommend it to everyone. Yes, me too. It's, 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 it, I, it's the book I say influenced me most after the Bible. So uh, I, you don't have any other, are you evangelical? I am. Are there any other evangelical pastors in your group? No. And uh, they, they pretty much were able to chase, there were some, and they were pretty much chased out. Um Anyway, your overriding point is the critical one, that you are going to get much more antipathy to Judaism, to Jews and Israel, from the progressive Christian world than the evangelical. Right. That's right. I hope you and I meet one day. Do me a favor. You could do me a favor, actually. Write what you said to me about my Genesis commentary in an email to me. I will do that. I would really appreciate that. Well, it gives me an excuse to uh, ask you to get uh, either or both of the two volumes that are out, or now to pre-order the third volume of my five-volume commentary on the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Deuteronomy, it doesn't, it's not been published in order. I haven't written it in order. The fifth book is Deuteronomy. It's coming out in uh, September. Please pre-order it at Amazon. It, uh, it it should get a lot of attention. If this country does not reaffirm biblical values, it is the end of the West. The West is based on biblical values. The Bible is based on the Torah. New Testament, Old Testament, all based on the first five books. Yeah, the progressives... Just remember, 
one of the great truths I've ever uttered is everything the left touches, it destroys. There is no exception. Religion is just another example of something the left has touched and destroyed. In Judaism, Protestantism, and Catholicism. Anyway, one of the great uh, instant tests of one's moral acumen is whether they perceive Hamas or Israel as the villain. When else in history has a country been attacked and is considered the villain? It's responded. Israel has the audacity to respond. The Israelis don't want to be destroyed. Naughty, naughty. The Dennis Prager Show. Hi, everybody. Dennis Prager here. Since I'm very open with you, I'll share with you something on the board here. There's a caller from Phoenix, and the subject is, Why Don't You Support Epoch Times? And it's sort of like, do you still beat your wife? I never did beat my wife. Not only do I support the Epic Times, they support me. They have had me featured in their interviews on their broadcasts. I subscribe to the print edition, and I send a nice donation in addition every year to the Epic Times. So I won't bother with the call, but I, I I just mention it because there are times when I read things about myself that have nothing to do with me and that uh, people write. Anyway, it is what it is, I just, uh, but it's a good example of uh, where I could support Epic Times by mentioning that. Uh, Chris in Inglewood, Colorado. Hello. Oh, hi, Dennis. So atheism usually has some form of materialism, which is the proposition that everything we see can be attributed to material processing. Uh, and quite typically, the and I believe that materialism is a, is a religion. Uh, and the basic catechism of uh, materialism are a combination of Big Bang theory um, plus nebular accretion. Uh, Neo-Darwinian evolution plus abiotic genesis, and then long, long era uh, geology with plate tectonics, and, and none of that is science-based. Okay, well, I agree with you. I don't, I don't know. Uh, that was not what um, was on the topic list. So I would ask all of you to please talk about what you tell the screener you would talk about. Yes. Anyway, materialism means only matter is real. There is nothing but matter, but it doesn't answer the question then if there is only a material world, how did the material world come into existence? The Big Bang is the greatest scientific, probably the greatest scientific 
argument for a creator. Until about the 1970s, it was commonly believed that the universe always existed. The Big Bang shook up astronomers and others, physicists. Wow, there was a beginning. Then how did it start? And the idea that it started on its own strikes most people as preposterous. There must have been a starter. See you tomorrow.